Welcome to Courageous Me, your go-to podcast if you're looking for inspiration and the confidence to put the spark back into your life. Hi, I'm your host, Kim Payne, and I'm on a mission to empower professional women to live kick-ass liberated lives where they're seen, heard, and fully valued. Join me on a journey to reignite your passion, get clear on your purpose, and to put more fun into all you do. To declare to that beautiful human staring back at you in the mirror, you've got this. If that sounds like you, let's do it. Welcome to another episode of Courageous Me. And today I've got the incredibly talented and extremely gorgeous Julissa Shrewsbury, who is the director of New Work Consulting. And I'll get her to tell us a bit about what New Work Consulting does. But she's here to share her examples and her exciting life and where courage has played out a role in all that she's done to date. So, Julissa, before we learn a little bit more about you and your background. Tell me what excites you about having a conversation about courage. Thanks, Kim. It's great to be here chatting with you. Um, You know, we always have really good chats and I think it's fantastic to be actually on your podcast. So thank you so much for the invitation, first of all. I love this conversation about courage and I think it's really important what you're doing, focusing your podcast on courage because everybody I've met, uh, everybody I've worked with and myself included, I think we can always spend a little bit more time reflecting on courage and how it plays out in our lives and where we might need a little bit more courage from time to time and in different areas of our lives as well. Um, I think we can all be a little bit more reflective anyway. I think it's always good to sort of think about what's going on for yourself and courage is a really big part of that. And one thing I've noticed in my work is that uh, people have this idea that confidence is something that is static, something that we acquire and once we have it, we've got it and we're all good. And I I think that's a myth. I don't think that's true at all. I think in different times of our lives, our courage goes up and down and in different areas of our lives as well. So it really depends on what's going on for us and what's new in our lives. So courage has a really important role to play because I think when we um, step outside of our comfort zone and then we look back and realize the hard things we've done and the new things we've learned, that's when our confidence goes up as well. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it's interesting. I heard this term and I don't know where I heard it, but called the confidence cliff. And when I turned about 48, 49, I literally fell off it. (laughs) And, you know, for many reasons and what have you. So, yeah, I agree. You don't just get courage or get confidence overnight and then you're done, you're sweet, all finished. It is something that you've got to continuously work on and continuously build and across different areas and all areas of your life. Completely agree. So tell us, who are you? And tell me about your background, where you come from, and what does New Work Consulting do? Thanks, Kim. Um, So I am first in my family born in Australia. I live in Perth now, but I was born in Melbourne. Um, My my parents are from Argentina, so they moved over to Australia in the 70s at a time when politically and economically it was pretty tough and there were a lot of people moving over from South America in general to Australia, so they were really lucky to be able to come. Uh, So yeah, so I grew up in Melbourne and then uh, we moved over to Perth when I was a teenager. So that's sort of my background. Um, Me, personally, I love living in Perth. I love the sunny weather and the beaches and the warmth and it really suits me. So this is a home for me. Um, And I love dancing. We've talked about dancing before because it's a shared love um, with yourself as well, Kim. And I guess my favourite would be salsa dancing. I've grown up with the music. My mum always had the music playing playing. you know, Cuban salsa and things like that. So I grew up with that music. It feels familiar to me. And in my 20s, I learned um, salsa dancing formally and did, you know, three lessons a week for a couple of years and really got into it. So it's just something I've always got in the background uh, and I really enjoy. 
And uh, nowadays I run a consulting agency, small boutique consulting firm uh, called New Work Consulting. So our work focuses on how organisations or how people within organisations connect with the brand and how they communicate the brand outwardly and with each other. So how it connects with culture in the organisation as well. And this I think is really interesting because uh, we often think of branding just in terms of the logo and the corporate colours, but really it's about uh, reputation and it's about um, how you're known and, and why people would want to work with you and, and what makes people feel like they belong as well to a team. So my work focuses on team identities as well as personal brands and how people individually can connect with the brand that they represent and how they can make it meaningful on the ground within their own team as well. And I have seen you in one of your webinars with Finzia and absolutely loved it and can completely resonate because you're right. We do think of branding as the logo on the color palette and, you know, the fonts and what that looks like, but it's so much more. And I guess I love that there is that connection between, you know, who the human is and how they bring that to the workplace and, and allow their personal brand shine through at the same time as upholding what that brand is and the culture for the business. Tell me, though, I've got to go back here, the salsa dancing. So do you still do it? And if not, why? <laughs> why not? Um, well, I guess um, these days I probably just don't really prioritise getting out there. Look, part of it, to be honest, is that I'm getting a little bit older and having a late night on a Tuesday night when salsa's on, um, you know, down in the city, and then, you know, going to bed after midnight and then getting up and working is a little bit beyond me. <laughs> so that, to be honest, that's one of the reasons it's scheduling it. Um, but also I think it's, it's what we prioritise, right? I'm not sure that I have traditionally been very good at prioritising joy and things just for the fun of it. I think I can, I can prioritise downtime and relaxation and time with family and friends, but when it comes to something that's just purely because I love to do it, it takes a little more discipline for me to think about, you know, that actually needs to be in the schedule. But having said that, I will play salsa music very, very often in the car and in the house and dance around and sing along uh, very badly with very bad Spanish these days. But um, yeah, it is part of my life in that way. Oh, I love that. And why, why do we not prioritise joy? Why do we not you know, make it a priority to do something that lights us up for no other reason that it gives us that joyful feeling. What are your thoughts on that? Because you're not the first one who said that. Yeah, I, I really want to be careful not to generalise here because I, I can think of examples. You know, my first thought is to say, as women, we always prioritise other people's needs above our own. And I think that, that there's an element of truth to to that idea of, of, of certain humans feel that um, nurturing others and supporting others is their orientation and is what they think about first. Um, so that can come into it. I think sometimes we just don't think about what we need individually and, and those simple things we need. You know, a lot of people talk about self-care and, and, and think about it in terms of a bubble bath or, I don't know, going to the hairdresser or whatever. But it can be the little things that you tell your but by your actions you're telling yourself are important and that you are important by extension right so whether it's just taking a break from your desk and remembering to breathe or noticing the sun's come out so jumping outside for for a bit of fresh air for five minutes and a cup of tea so you know I think there's there's, there's many everyone's got their own version of this but having said that I mean I can think of one of my close friends is incredible at prioritizing joy she absolutely structures her entire life and her day-to-day -day schedule around the things that bring her joy and that really serves her it, ma it makes her it means she shows up as her best self she does an amazing job with her clients she's got a booming business she is there for her family I don't think that it's necessarily something that takes away from others it can actually add to others so um yeah I don't know I think it's a very personal personal thing and for some it's not a challenge it's just who they are which is wonderful Oh, I want to know who this woman is. She sounds like an anomaly. I'll introduce you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and I, you know, the reason I ask that question too is that I do speak to a lot of women who say, when I ask, what do you do just for you? I don't mean exercising because you do that for your health and your body and what have you, but just for the pure joy of it. And so many 
this is how they start the answer. I used to love blah, 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 but I don't anymore. It just happens all the time. So I love that there are people out there, and you know one of them, that absolutely prioritises joy and, as a result, shows up in life better. Oh, I love that. Oh, Now, talk to me about you. Have you always been doing this work that you do through New Work Consulting, or did your life look quite different when you were younger? Definitely look different. You know, the, the work that I do now, this connection between brand and culture and, and working with organisations in a range of different ways, whether it's running a workshop or doing some public speaking or doing consulting work on, on a wider scale, uh, it doesn't really fit in a bucket. You know, it's, 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 not, it's something that evolved. It's not something that, you know, I went to uni and studied for or thought to myself when I was a kid, I want to be a, you know, brand culture connection consultant one day. You know, it wasn't a thing. So it's still not really a thing. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's something that has evolved over time. Um, uh, my In my 20s, I was a primary school teacher. So that was my first kind of official career. I guess I did some hospitality stuff before that when I was in high school and in my um, student days as well, which was a really, really great training, a great foundation. Uh, I have a huge appreciation for people in, in hospitality um, and in service, service spaces. I think incredible how hard they work. Um, in, so in my 20s, I was a primary school teacher. I mainly taught upper primary. Uh, I loved it. I loved being around the kids. I loved the creativity and the variety every day and having to be really innovative and think on my feet and be able to read the room and think about every little person in, in, in that room and what they needed and how it worked together and learned a lot about culture actually at that time, which was really interesting. I did, wouldn't have called it that at the time. Um, so that was a really good foundation I found for everything that I do now working with people, but also in running a business. I've, I've learned how to be resourceful with not very much and I've learned how to make something out of nothing and I've learned how to respond to different needs and respond to surprises and all of that comes up in business as well. So that was, yeah, my 20s, I was a primary school teacher. Towards the end of that time, I actually taught dance and drama for a couple of years and I taught that in schools. So I worked in three different schools, um, teaching from kindy through to high school. Um, and I was really fortunate to be able to create the curriculum and, and, and for myself and for my students and do whatever I wanted with that. So I had a lot of freedom in that role, which I really enjoyed. And got to learn about and try out lots of different dance forms and, and um, different drama games and things like that, which which was great. I loved it. Um, I'm salivating I, that you, uh, yeah, that you work. Would have Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you would have loved it too, Kim. Yeah, absolutely. So it was a really um, fun few years. Um, also exhausting but <laughs> a lot of fun and I learned a lot in that time I guess when I didn't love it anymore was when I started to feel constrained by being in a highly institutionalized environment and you know it needs to be um, a very regulated and structured environment um, for what it is but I, I was starting to, I think in your 20s, you learn who you are. And I was starting to understand towards my late 20s that I wasn't ultimately suited to be in that environment. There were a couple of reasons for that. I think one of them was that um, I value freedom um, of in terms of how I express myself and ideas and running with, with, with things and autonomy. I value that very, very highly um, for myself, for my personal life, and I work better when I have maximum freedom to do things the way that I want to do and ultimately that wasn't an environment where I could always do that I, I did have a lot of freedom particularly in that um, dance and drama teaching role because I was the only one in that department so you know I, I was very very fortunate to be able to make some big decisions in my in my work at a very young age but uh, I think ultimately there would have been a ceiling on that and yeah I just could see that that wasn't going to fulfill me going forward and the other reason was that it's it's a highly stressful environment and at the time I think it's probably changing now but at the time the culture was you just work hard you don't complain you work all hours you don't take time off you, you know and it it was it was you were there every weekend you were there every evening and it just didn't feel sustainable and at the time we weren't taught anything about your own well-being and mental health and and all of that and I think I just burnt out like many people do in professions like that 
where, especially at times when there hasn't been the support. Uh, I did some travel. I went back to uni. I studied photography, uh, some business units, uh, basically an arts degree. I went back and did a whole other undergrad and just for fun and just to see where it was going to take me. I, I did writing, a lot of creative writing. Um, and in that time, I was doing a lot of photography and started to do a lot of vol voluntary work and, and working in that space and thought, oh, you know, maybe I can put this these business units, this what that I'm learning about and the photography together. It doesn't seem so hard. I'll just start my own photography business. It'd be easy. And I was super excited about that and I didn't know a thing. And I don't know if I would have started if I'd known anything. I would have been too scared. So I think the courage was false courage, Kim, at the time. It was pure not knowing what I was getting myself into. Um, but you I know, love the confidence, it. though. Oh, I love this. I love that. Why don't I just put the two together and make it? <laughs> I can do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The naivety is just golden. <laughs> you know, my mum, um, my I, I have my mum's voice through my childhood in my head saying she said two things to me all the time the first one because when I was a kid I was a real scaredy cat I was shy and scared of everything and also just wanted to be really good at everything and if I wasn't good at something I really freaked out and panicked and you know just couldn't couldn't handle it and she would always say oh Julissa you you're just scared of the unknown you're scared of the unknown it's the unknown that's what you can't handle um, and, you know, I think we all are scared of the unknown, aren't we? Like now that I think about it, I think that's, you know, we all want to think that we have some level of control and, and we really don't have very much at all. But the other thing she always said to me was, um, you can do anything that you set your mind to. You can learn anything. So I kind of grew up with this idea of I'm a bit of a scaredy cat and I don't like not being great at something or not knowing exactly how something's going to go. But at the same time, you can dream big and you can achieve anything if you just work hard enough and set your mind to it, right? You, you, you're capable. So I think that really served me because I had the awareness of, you know, where I might struggle, but also um, what the potential was there as well that I believed that I had. Um, and so I think that helped me. And, and I really have been someone who, you know, work is a huge part of my identity. So if at any time in my in my career over time, I've, you know, I've changed careers now three times and had two businesses in that time. I, if I am no longer feeling aligned, I can't stay there for long. So I've always been willing to throw everything out and start again if I have to, or at least kind of evolve and, and change as I go and change my focus and try different things. Even if it's unknown, even if it's scary, even if I haven't tested it out and I might fail because I'd rather feel all that joy we were talking about before in the work that I do in my everyday than not have that and have safety. So I think it's coming back to that, realizing I'm someone who values freedom over stability. Um, and that doesn't mean to say, you know, I've been very lucky to be able to take a lot of risks and, and, and have periods of instability, but, you know, it, it's still hard to, you know, you still have responsibilities and it's still hard to kind of make that work when you want to change up what you're doing and try something new. But ultimately that's what makes me happy. And, and I know that about myself. So yeah, my work has changed a lot over time. You know, the photography days were great as well. I learned a lot there about branding, uh, which has really layered and served the work that I do now. And also a lot about human nature. It's really interesting what happens when um, you pop a CEO on the other side of a camera lens and, you know, this is, this is a human being like any other and suddenly they're not powerful in that environment. So you observe a lot through a lens about human nature, which has also really helped me to understand what people need from me in different environments in my work now. Mm, I hear that a lot, actually. So just to go back to the beginning of our conversation, you do actually chase joy. It just what joy means doesn't necessarily mean salsa dancing. It yeah. can be others. And I cannot imagine you as a scaredy cat. <laughs> um, and I, that's so interesting that growing up, you know, your mother diagnosed you so to speak with having a fear of the unknown and yet you've just laid on the line that you're quite prepared to throw it all away and start again if you're no longer feeling aligned how do you know if you're no longer feeling aligned versus you're just having a bad day or a bad week or something like how do you know 
that, okay, this is out of alignment and it's big enough that I'm going to toss it in and try something new versus, like I said, just going through something and it, it not feeling good at the time, but it's a moment that will pass. How can you tell the difference? I'm not sure, Kim. I think that's a really, really good question. I think part of it is knowing when to be tough on yourself and push yourself and when to stop and question and listen to your heart as well. There are many situations where I've had to do hard things in building businesses and things that I don't like to do. And overall, my attitude is you're a business owner, suck it up. You have to do these things to build a business. So it's not always just doing the stuff I love to do. It's all the things that I need to still show up for so I have a business, so I have work that I, that I can deliver and, that, and clients that I can help. So, for example, you know, sales, everyone's biggest, you know, just about everyone, their, their biggest learning curve and, and, and pain point is sale, having sales conversations and putting yourself out there and networking and all of those things. I've learned to make those things work in alignment with my values and work in alignment with my personality and I'm still learning how to make that consistent because I still don't want to do it, even when I can do it in a way that I feel good about. It's still not the thing that I want to spend time on, and yet it needs to happen on a very regular basis to have a sustainable business. And a lot of it has to be me. It has to come from me. I can't just employ a sales team to talk about the work that I'll be delivering. It's, it's a lot of it is about my relationship with clients, even though I might have some, a small team on certain projects or support people in the background. So before you go on, I need to just stop you there. How do you do that? I know because I'm sitting here going, I hate doing that myself. I hate going to networking. And by the way, you've self-admitted that you're the scaredy cat. So tell me, how do you do How do you allow yourself to say what you just said, that you can go to these things, you've learned and taught yourself how to do it. What have you taught yourself and how did you do that? Um, well, I, there's a lot that I teach around networking, for example, um, as part of the work that I do, because I work a lot with professional services and a lot of people in professional services, such as lawyers, accountants, finance people, other advisors are amazing technic technically and with their clients, they're very good. They have high trust relationships. They're, they're, they're good at building those relationships and, and doing wonderful work and caring about their clients. But getting them in the door in the first place or building a new business is something that they never were taught to do. And quite often it's it's not their personality type or they're not that it's they're not comfortable with it. So I, I also teach a lot about this stuff and a lot of it has come from, you know, my own trial and error over, I don't know, 12 plus years of building two businesses from scratch. When I moved from teaching to photography and then from photography into corporate consulting work and speaking. Those represented, those three careers represent extremely different audiences and different brands. So I needed new people to see what I could do and I needed them to take me seriously in that space. So those were really big steps outside of my comfort zone. Um, but also it meant I actively had to build a new network and a new audience each time I moved into a new space in order to be able to achieve my goals because you don't achieve your goals all on your own. You're not in a vacuum. So a lot of it for me was trial and error, but some of the things, I guess, kind of high level, you know, putting it in a nutshell for, for this conversation that I've learned that I try and share with others Um You've got there, there are a range of different networking and business development techniques. You've got to work with what's aligned to you as a person and to your brand as well. So in the professional services example, you have a highly trustworthy advisor brand that you need to be able to protect and, and nurture. So you can't be going out there pushing business cards at every business networking event or um, promoting yourself shamelessly all over LinkedIn. You've got to find a way that aligns with your brand and also your target audience or target market. You know, what, what do they need? 
I've learned that for my business now, I have to be a lot less showy on social media than I was when I had the photography business. It was really easy with the photography business because I was taking photos of people and that has its own, you know, wow factor and people love to look at that. And so, you know, that was, it was very easy to be, um, to, to create content for social media and to be quite, you know, do a lot of behind the scenes and, and, and all of that. Whereas now my audience is really different. They're quite conservative. They're more likely to watch and read and listen and less likely to engage on social media. And I've had to learn that that's okay. I don't need, you know, a huge following that's commenting on everything I do. And I don't need to share, you know, what I did on the weekend or what I had for breakfast because my intended audience is following me for a different reason and they're following me more quietly. So I think understanding the context in which you're working and what your personality is and then making choices about what kind of networking and business development situations are going to be right for you. But at the same time, recognize that if you're building a business or you're building your career even, you need to step outside of your comfort zone. So you're going to have to walk into a room full of people you don't know now and then. And you're going to have to go out, you know, shake hands and meet people, not just hang back with your colleague in the corner having a drink. So, you know, you do have to learn how to do some of these things, but in a way that feels authentic to you and your values. Is that answering your question, Kim? Yeah, so how does a once a self-proclaimed scaredy cat walk into a networking <laughs> okay. event and honestly wanting to just hang with your buddy at the back of the room, right? I get that. How do you not do that? What discipline or what action or what mindset have you had to put in place so that you don't actually do that and you do get out there and do it in a way that still feels like you, that, you know, you see that other way that person does it. You're like, oh, no, that's not me. How can you do it? What, what actually would you do? If I was asking you now, I'm that scaredy cat in the corner, I can't do it. What are you telling me? It comes down to clarity. I think the biggest confidence boost is clarity on why you're there, what you want to get out of it, what you want to say, and how you want people to see you. So if you've done a bit of work beforehand to think about why have I chosen this particular networking event? Who's going to be in the room that I might like to meet? Have I looked them up to see, you know, for example, the speaker or the event organizer, or you've heard that someone's coming, or maybe you've even seen the guest list. Have you looked up a couple of those people on LinkedIn and had a look at what they've been talking about recently, what's on their profile, what work they've done that might give you a an idea of a question you might ask them should you meet them. So you're going in prepared not only with what are two or three points I want to hit in talking about my own work when asked, like what, how do I want people to see me? So what, how will I introduce myself? And then what, what could I ask of someone else or what do I want to find out from this event? So having some clarity about communication points and questions you can ask. And if you don't know anyone there, have you got one or two great icebreaker questions up your sleeve? Because if you do, you're going to feel a lot more confident going in because you're purposeful. You know what you're going to do when you get there. If you're scared of going into a room full of people you don't know, which most people don't feel comfortable with that, what you want to do is, number one, go alone. Don't go with a friend, which makes it even more scary, but it means that you actually will be forced to talk to people you don't know, which is why you're there. Go early, even arrive five to 10 minutes before the official event starts, because some people arrive early, the room is less busy, you can go in, meet the organizer, get a feel for the room, start to meet a couple of people. By the time the room starts filling up, you're at a point where you can introduce people to other people. You, you own the room pretty much by then. And if you come in early and you warm up and you spend some quality time networking, then you don't have to feel like you need to stay for the entire event. So if they have a speaker and then they've got more networking after, but you're tired, your brain's tired, you feel like you've got no more to give because this was hard, you can go home knowing that you've actually made the most of that networking at the beginning. So I think arriving early, knowing what it is that you're going to ask and what you're going to say about your own work and keeping that very simple helps you to feel more confident going in. And then it's practice. It's just putting yourself in the room, just making yourself do it. There's nothing like doing it, is there? That's, you know, I come across a lot of people that ask for um, support around getting up on a stage or being the speaker. And, you know, the key, the secret is you've just got to do it. The more you do, 
the easier it gets to do more. Now, that doesn't mean that you, know, you don't still get the nerves and you don't still have the, oh, I don't want to be doing this, but you know that you can do it and you've got the evidence that you can do it. And I'm a really big fan, like you just said, of getting there early, of getting the lay of the land. Now, even as a speaker, I never, ever would turn up to an event and not be one of the first people there. Like sometimes even before the organisers and the audio people and everything to get a feel of the lay of the land, what it feels like to stand on the stage and look out and start to meet people as they trickle in. And exactly like you just said, that is such gold that you then almost become the person that can say, oh, you know, Jalissa, have you met Jordan? Jordan, you know, and you become that person and that gives you an extra dose of confidence to then go and do that again and again and again. Hey, I'm interested, what are your, what are your couple of icebreakers that you have up your sleeve? I think anytime you can ask a question that's open-ended and invites discussion, but at the same time, isn't too much of an inquisition question. So you don't want to ask, like after you've asked, if you've asked, what do you do? And they say, I'm an accountant, for example, right? Now that's a bit of a conversation stopper. And when I work with accountants, I try and get them to say a little bit more and give it a bit more context. So we actually know what kind of accountant they are and what they're interested in, what the focus is with their clients, etc. So um, say, for example, someone's said, I'm, you know, what do you do? And you've said, I'm an accountant. And you think to yourself, oh, they look quite young. And your next question is, so how long have you been an accountant? Or have you been an accountant for very long? That feels like a test to the other person. It feels like you're sizing them up and judging them. So, and that unfortunately is a really common question. And I think most of the time, it's just that people feel like they don't know what else to ask. So they are, so have you been doing this for long kind of thing, but it can feel insulting even to people depending on their experience. So you've got to be careful about, you know, you might ask someone questions, but you don't want to be sort of giving them an, in it's not an interview, <laughs> right? So it's good to start with a question. I think that is a little bit softer or a little bit um, more general. Um, so it might be something like, so what brings you to this event today? Or it could be, so what, who, what had you heard about today's speaker um, previ previous before coming to the event? What made you choose to come? Or um, what did you think of today's speaker? Or are you part, I mean, this is a closed question, but are you part of this networking group? Or, um, you know, who else do you know who's here today? So trying to keep it fairly broad. Another one I like to, to ask in order to understand a bit about that person and start a real conversation is something about their day. So if it was if it's an evening event, for example, I might say, so what was your day like today? I, I used to say, uh, how was your day today? But that's that you're only going to get a yes, uh, a good, a good or a not so good out of that. It's kind of a conversation stopper. So, you know, what what was on the agenda for you today? What happened today? Something like that. They'll, they'll start to give you some kind of detail and you can actually have a conversation from there. Or if it's the beginning of the day, you might say, so what's on the agenda for today for you? And it's still, it's not like you're saying, you're asking them for their schedule or what, what, what are their, what's the goal that they're working on or the problem they're solving right now. You're not getting that um, intimate at a first meeting, but you might just be asking something more general that gives you a detail that you can then start to understand a bit more about who they are. And that's such a good one. And I shared on a recent podcast that when I would pick up my kids from school and I would say, how was your day, honey? I'd get, yeah, good, bad. <laughs> no, I, I got nothing. So I changed my line of questioning to just tell me something you learned today or tell me who did you actually hang out with at lunchtime or, you know, did you play football or did you do basketball? Something where they have to literally engage me more. Um, yeah, very, very interesting. And I like, I really like that because you've got this pre-prepared almost questioning technique embedded, that it allows you to be at an event and still free flow and ask questions and go with, you know, what's going on around you. Such an important thing. And again, coming from a previous scaredy cat is even more golden. So where else have you really had to reach in and find some courage in your life. So you've had three careers. You're an ex-salsa dancer. Maybe not quite ex, that might be to come. Where else have you really had to go deep and find some courage? Yeah, I mean, I think that the examples that come to mind are, you know, 
strange and unpredictable in examples from those changes in careers. Um, there's definitely, you know, other things, you know, family related and things like that as well, which I can go into. But I guess, um, you know, things like, for example, when, when I was teaching dance, uh, one of the schools I was teaching at decided that they wanted to have a bit of a fitness agenda for the school and they didn't have any sort of before school morning fitness, but they wanted to get the kids engaged in something when they arrived early before the school bell, right? So I was asked to, well, not really asked, I was tasked with um, do, running a fitness, a dance style fitness uh, that was optional that children and parents could come and join in in the morning when they were just kind of hanging around the playground before school started. And I was literally told just pop, pop some music on and start dancing and, you know, encourage people to join in. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm used to being on stage or at the front of the classroom and things like that, but I'm naturally an introvert. So, so going into, you know, the random, in the middle of the, the quadrangle or whatever, putting music on really loudly and dancing around like an idiot and trying to motion over for parents and kids to join me, it was actually quite intimidating, even though I'd been teaching for many, many years from by then and teaching dance for a couple of years. So, you know, there's sometimes just things that you find yourself doing and you think, how, how did I get into this situation? You know, as a photographer, I was climbing up on roofs and underneath trucks and walking factory floors and managing big personalities or groups of large groups of people uh, under a lot of time pressure and creative pressure because you're trying to get a product but you're also trying to give people a comfortable experience at the same time and so there's just been so many situations that I've just ended up accidentally really throwing myself into just responding to what comes along and then thinking wow I never thought I'd be here and each time it's a bit of think on your feet and but at the end of it I've looked back and thought wow I did that thing like that was that was scary I guess on a personal level, you know, travel is always the big one, isn't it? When you look back and think, wow, I backpacked all over Europe but with hardly any money and couldn't understand any of the languages and somehow, you know, I got lost several times and shared rooms with all sorts of people and, you know, all of these crazy situations that I've been in and think, how on earth did I survive that with such little knowledge of the world um, at the time? So I think, I think travel teaches you a lot as well about when you need to just dig deep and see what resources you've got because you don't really have another choice or because that's the situation that you find yourself in. It's so true. I'm still laughing, though, at you having to just get into a quadrangle, put music <laughs> on and, and get everyone to come and join in. And as someone else who's very comfortable on the stage, <laughs> that would not be comfortable. But you're right. And it is things like I know that if ever I've needed to to jump in and find some courage to do something. I thought, wow, I could backpack around Europe for six months, then decide to live in London and not know a single person, have nowhere to live and have no money and survive and end up doing really well out of it. I reckon I can do this little thing or pick up the phone and make that uncomfortable call. I think sometimes when you can reflect on the evidence that you could do that, it helps in the moment. And, and injects a little dose of, you know, like a little courage pill or something to get you to do that thing. When you were little growing up, what did you want to be? Because obviously you didn't want to be, as you say, the, the culture and brand expert because it wasn't a thing. What were your dreams when you were growing up? Honestly, pretty boring and pretty standard. I guess for a, a, a moment in time, I probably thought I wanted to be a ballerina, but I never really did anything with that. <laughs> I don't think I took that seriously, but really, um, quite early on, like when, when I was in primary school still, I already knew I wanted to be a teacher. When I was studying high school, I already knew that's what I wanted to do. I never, I was lucky in a way that I never had that kind of pressure of what do you, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when you finish school? Cause I already knew. Um, and I was a hundred percent committed to that and it was absolutely the right decision I absolutely adored my teaching studies and my practicals and my teaching days for the most part and it was the the right thing at that time for me so 
I think it was later on that I, I even developed an awareness that um, you can change careers and you can do all sorts of things and you can start a business and you can learn new things. It, it wasn't even on my radar until I started to realise that I was not no longer suited to being in a school environment as a teacher. And when you realised that moment... And you hadn't started a business before. Like I said, you then went and did some more study and, and all of that. What gave you the courage, though, to go and start a business? And not just once, but twice. Like, what was it that got you doing that? Because you could have also gone and got a job. You didn't have to start a business. So why did you start a business twice? I think, as I, as I said earlier, I think a lot of it was just naivety, to be honest, like just, just doing a couple of business units and doing a bunch of photography and thinking at, in, while I was studying and thinking, oh, yeah, this, this, I can make this work. I think also because I was in my late 20s, like I was 29 when I started the photography business and I was just finishing up my, you know, second round of study. And by then I was already, because I was doing a whole other undergrad, I decided I wanted, to, I didn't want to do a master's. I wanted to take some time and I was working part-time, still teaching for a while, but I wanted to take some time because I didn't know what I wanted to do. So that's why I chose to do another undergrad degree. So I was with a lot of much younger, even though I was only 28 or whatever, um, I was with a lot of people who were much younger than me in for the most part. So I had this awareness that I didn't want to go and work for a photography agency and, you know, get paid $5 an hour to grab cups of coffee for the old guy in the studio or whatever, right? So I just had an awareness that I didn't want to start there. And again, you know, a lot of naivety. I had a lot to learn about the craft still um, when I started the business. So I made it hard for myself because I had some experience but limited experience before I was offering certain services. And I was naturally quite good at photography and I applied myself and worked really, really hard. But because I didn't have years of experience working in a photography business, I was kind of making it up as I went along, which in a way was good because it meant I could do things differently um, and, and do it my way, which suited me. But in a way was not good because it took longer because I, I was making a lot of mistakes. So I wouldn't necessarily recommend that way of doing things, but it was the way that I did it and I don't regret it because it was my journey. And I've certainly, I've, there's so much richness from all the times I fell over and scraped my knee and <laughs> all the things I've learned along the way and all the different kinds of networking events I've been to and the sales conversations I've had and the things that went badly and the things that went well. So I think it's all served me now. When I started the second business, I already knew what it took to run a business. I knew that I was suited to that. And that's really what's best for me um, in my career is to be able to have that level of autonomy and to create something out of nothing is exciting to me. Uh, and I already knew the basics of how to run a business by then. So there was it was a lot faster the second time round. Yeah. And what's really interesting about this, though, is you were saying that when you were growing up, besides being the scaredy cat, I keep using that word because it's just, it's so golden that there's so much, but you also said that you wanted to do everything the best and perfectly. Now, starting a business, not knowing how to run a business and doing it in photography where you said you maybe didn't have the years of experience, but yet you still did it, knowing that you weren't say as good as someone else who might've been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years. What do you think still drove you to do it? Like, yes, naivety, yes, that sort of false courage. But it's interesting because from your childhood to that time, something else has changed. What do you reckon that was? Um, I think that in terms of the photography business, I think what drove me, well, I know what drove me was the desire to give people a different and better experience than I could see people generally had. It's not to say I thought I could do a better job of the photography. It's more that what I valued and what I prioritized in the experience for my clients gave them a better experience overall. So for example, um, a lot of, a lot of what I saw was that a lot of the photography was very, um, kind of like conveyor belt so it would be often in the studio it would be the same poses for everyone the same lighting for everyone the same clothing direction um, makeup and um, 
quite often the client wouldn't have very long with the photographer and wouldn't be given a lot of instruction and were feeling extremely nervous and were feeling like they weren't seen and heard. So at the end of it, quite often, you know, when people came to me, they would say, I've had photos before, I've had profile photos before, but I didn't look like me and I hated them or I don't feel comfortable with them because it doesn't look like me, it doesn't feel like me or I was so nervous that I don't think I came across confidently in the photos. So to me, the client experience was number one and understanding the client and bringing out their personal brand was the center of my focus. And at the time, there weren't personal brand photographers like there are now. So I just don't think that that was the common practice and I wanted to do something differently. And that's what drove me. And I knew that I could do that well. I knew that I could do the human bit really well and I could do the creative bit well. And I had to find a way to make those things work um, in a way that produced a result in an efficient and cost-effective manner for the client as well. So that was the, the kind of the business challenge. Um, in terms of, you know, you said about from childhood being a scaredy cat and then, you know, how, how do you then, what drives you to do things? I think it comes back to that second part of what my mum always said, which was you can do anything that you set your mind to. And, yeah, I definitely am a recovering perfectionist. I definitely have issues with wanting to get everything right and control the environment and be the star and all of those thing juicy things that would just be a minefield for a psychologist but you know at the end of the day I also truly truly believe because I've heard it since I was little that I can do hard things and if I that I'm capable and that if I want to learn something I can learn it you know, my favorite saying in the world is by Marie Folio. It's also the title of her book, Everything is Figure Outable. And if you live life thinking that everything is figure outable, even when things are scary and you don't want to do them and you avoid them for a while and you put up excuses and all those things, at the end of the day, you just need to take that first step and then you figure out the next step and then you figure out the next step. And that's how I try and live. And I think I've always done that. I love it. And I love her book. I still remember a part in her book when she talks about she's going to, they're going on a holiday or something and she gets there late and the, they can't get on the flight and then she's got baggage and she's got to take over and how she figures it out. I just, every time I hear everything is figure outable, all I think of her is at the airport taking everything from her suitcase to put in a, a carry on bag. And I'm like, if she can do that, we can do anything. <laughs> yeah. I love Marie Folio because she was making um, a personal brand out of being real, you know, showing your flaws and your mistakes and being goofy and this is who I am. She was doing that before it was the thing to do. And that's, that, that's awesome. She's a real trailblazer, I think. I reckon that's why I'm so drawn to her because I love, you're right, that goofiness and that real and rawness. I just think that is gold. Um, so how comfortable are you and, and where in the work that you do? Because vulnerability is you, to be goofy and to show it online or to, to admit about that you, know, you don't get everything right. That is being very vulnerable. What role do you think that plays in your life and in particular the work you do and what you're seeing in that context of the professional services space? I think that it's a balance. I think that the vulnerability conversation is extremely important. You know, Brene Brown's work, it's come at a, at a good time. Uh, it's, you know, her work and others um, in that space has done a lot to raise the awareness amongst among leadership groups, uh, among people who traditionally need to have all the answers or feel like they need to have all the answers and they need to direct everything and they need to be in charge. It's helped those people to have permission to be human and to also think of their leadership in a more well-rounded way and, and, and what is it that really serves others and it's more about being a real person. But at the same time, I think that it can go a little bit too far the other way and, it, and you have to think about what purpose does this serve and who is it serving. So it's all, so I'll give you a really basic example. Um, we were talking before about presenting on stage, so speaking on stage. If, if you go on stage with, you know, and you're feeling nervous about giving a keynote presentation or whatever it might be, and you allow yourself to spend too much time focused on that nervousness even you know you can share the nervousness with others but even if you're if that's your orientation 
you're not going to serve that audience who have given up their precious time to be there and learn from you or to have an experience with you. So it's important in those situations to think, okay, I'm nervous. I feel like this. I can admit that and talk about that. But at the same time, I'm here to do a job and I need to think about what this audience needs from me because that's what's important here. So in the same way, a leader needs to think about, you know, okay, how can I be vulnerable and real and share things, but with purpose? Why am I sharing this thing? Is this actually going to be helpful or am I just being self-indulgent? So I think that there's a difference there. I don't really know if I answered your question, but... (laughs) You did absolutely beautifully, absolutely beautifully. Because, yeah, with the whole rise of Brene Brown and a lot of her work around vulnerability, it is a word that gets... Um, bandied around quite a lot and you know you kind of go well yeah I need to probably embrace a little bit more vulnerability I'm not a robot as you said permission to be human but I don't have to you know share all my wares and all my dirty laundry and that with people but yeah I love that it's you know embracing it but with the purpose I think that is just golden and you know there are sometimes when you <laughs> I interviewed a woman called Susie Miller um, a couple of podcasts ago and she was talking about a really big incident that was a turning point for her in her leadership career and she had her team there who by the way had been backstabbing her and um, trying to get her ousted and she just burst into tears now if she had have thought about the strategy that she would have brought to that meeting tears didn't even appear in that strategy it just happened and what came out of it was her vulnerability actually earned her more respect and sent her off on a much more authentic leadership journey than she could have had but yet that wouldn't have been like she said it wouldn't have been a strategy I would have employed actually I would have gone the opposite way so I love that there is a balance between the two so interesting and what about what's one other moment um, even in your personal life where you really had to go in and find some courage because Sounds like you've got a, quite a few things that you've done, even in the professional sense, where you've had to do that. What about more on a personal front? What's one other big thing? Um, well, there are definitely some things, some personal things that I, I'm happy to touch on. So, for example, um, a few years ago, one of my sisters married a guy who was it t- turned out to be quite abusive and very controlling. And he also, uh, his family lived overseas and so she went away and moved overseas and for, it was a couple of years, we completely lost touch with her. We couldn't get a hold of her. She wasn't contacting us. Eventually she managed to get away and get out of that relationship and she had to go into hiding for a while because he was looking for her and it was a really, really extreme and violent situation and he was calling members of my family and threatening them and trying to get hold of her and all of this stuff so uh, the reason I share that is because this is a situation that you never ever think in your worst nightmares is going to happen in your family and some of the stories and things that I've heard that she's gone through since she's come back have really been quite traumatizing and there have been situations where we found ourselves in the police station writing reports and things like that and you just can't imagine this is ever going to be part of your life it feels like a bad movie right during that period for me personally in terms of my own experience I found that um, I became very closed and in in my shell and there was there was a short period of time where we actually were worried he was looking for all of us and trying to get to her so I found myself in my own home looking out the window with fear and when you get to a point where you're not even comfortable in your own home your whole life has changed so that really affected my friendships because I had to go completely off social media I couldn't go to public events you know and this didn't even happen to me this happened to my sister but still it affected the whole family I was constantly checking on family members. Um, it effect- I was running my business, my photography business at the time. It affected my business. I couldn't work for a while. Um, I couldn't advertise. If I was speaking at an event, because uh, I was doing some speaking and running workshops, I couldn't advertise in advance. I had to, you know, only afterwards I could post about it or write a newsletter about it. So it affected everything in our lives. 
So there was a lot of fear and anger to work through in that time. And also you just question, like, how am I in this situation? How did my sister get into this situation? And it makes you question things like confidence and self-worth and um, how much you decide you have control over your own experience. So coming out the other end of that, you know, for me that was there was a very clear turning point. There was one day where I'd had enough of feeling afraid and feeling sad and I thought this person, this troubled individual that goes through life behaving this way and has affected my whole family, I will not allow that person to affect my life for one more day. And from that day on it was like a like a like a shadow was gone or a weight had lifted off and I wasn't afraid anymore and it was a split decision split second decision so I guess you know I share that because I think that took courage but it was something that I didn't plan I didn't it wasn't something I was trying to push myself to do it wasn't a nice to have it was a survival thing and it was also just a decision that even in the most challenging situations that you don't ever expect are going to happen and where you feel like you don't have much control even over your own personal safety that there are ways that you can choose your experience and I think that's essential you know it, n nobody's the boss of my life except me <laughs> oh that's a good one nobody's the boss of my life except me I love that and even though you're right that that happened in your personal life it's it's kind of about life isn't it you know whether it's your personal life or your work life there are there are times when someone else's behavior impacts you but at what point do you go hey this is my life I need to be the boss I need to be in control and take back and as you said it was a split decision it was just a moment why did that moment happen on that day at that time probably never know but Wow, that is beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. It, it certainly does. It shows your bravery. But do you know what has really come through for me about this conversation is you value you. you your self-worth and your confidence is shining through from the stories you've shared, from the behaviours, from what I know of you as well. And that is absolutely golden. I was actually just listening to a webinar just before we got online um, with a woman, and I've just forgotten her name, um, all about, you know, the number one superpower in this world is actually your own self-worth. And when you've got a hold on that, it can multiply the impact of everything else in your life. So, and to make a decision like that, you've got to come from a place of having some self-worth. So I think sometimes, Kim, those times when we hit rock bottom and things are just so, you know, that, that, dark night of the soul that's when you get that clarity um so in a way in in a way it becomes easier to see what's important when it's so extreme but you know you know the work I do I mean my 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 business in terms of the um the purpose statement underlying all the work that I do it's to help people grow in confidence and contribution through knowing their value to me knowing the value of yourself as a human being first just because you are and then the next layer being the value that you bring through who you are and the work that you do and the expertise you have being able to put words to that and to acknowledge that gives people such a, a, a strong foundation of confidence to then um, go out and do courageous things. So it, it's truly, to me, it's the it's the, the lighthouse, you know. I think knowing um, how valuable you are and the value that you bring um, to everything that you do. So true. And my purpose is empowering women to live kick-ass liberated lives where they're seen, heard and fully valued. Yes. Again, the, the value piece is there. And I don't know if I've told you, I'm 80,000 words into a 50,000 word book on being valuable. Amazing. <laughs> it's of no value to anyone though, while it's still in manuscript form. <laughs> well, that's not entirely true because I know that when you, when you put all of your, your life's work and your wisdom and everything on paper, even as you're doing it, 
you are getting clearer in your communication every day and how you serve. So you, you, you don't know that that's, it's probably already impacting people before anyone's read the book. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. And on one quick final note, cause I could literally talk to you forever as we often do when we get in conversation, what's your next big courageous move? What's on your plate at the moment that is going to stretch you, not just your day to day. What I've started to do a little, really just dip my toe into, and it's something that I want to take more seriously in the new year, is um, working more collaboratively with other consulting firms, not just locally, but even around the world. And I've started to have some great conversations with uh, the owners of different consulting, boutique consulting firms that I really um, admire and I, I feel aligned to the way that they work and what their purpose is. Uh, and learning about how they build their business and, and navigate client projects and what they focus on. So at this stage, I'm doing a lot of learning. I've also started working collaboratively with a couple of different consulting firms um, and learning how to make that work with my business and how I can contribute to theirs. Um, I think I want to do more of that in the future because I've done so much of doing my own thing. And I think I can make more impact if I am working more collaboratively as a big part of my work instead of just a nice to have now and then. Oh, but that, no, that, no, that's no. going to take courage because I'm used to controlling everything, as I said before, and doing things my way. And so sharing and also opening up my business for criticism from that internal perspective of how we run things and how we do things is a little scary. So yeah, I'm, I'm learning how to um, build that into my, my next big move for my business. Oh, I love it. And I look forward to coming along and learning as we as you go on that journey. So if someone else wants to follow you on your journey too, how can they get in contact? You can find lots of, of content, um, articles, videos and things like that on my uh, website. So the easiest way is just to type in julissa.com.au and that will redirect you to the new work consulting website with lots of content that I write personally. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn and that's about it. I'm not much into social media these days, so, but I'm always on LinkedIn. So I invite people to connect with me there. Perfect. So anyone gone LinkedIn, I'll pop the details in the show notes as per normal. And here's to you and here's to more salsa dancing. And when I do get to Perth, you need to take me to a salsa class or something like that. Cause that's on my hit list of things to do with you. It's a Thank deal. So I love you, Kim. Can't wait to see you on the west side. Excellent. I'll be there. Thanks, Julissa. Thanks a million for joining me on this episode of Courageous Me. I hope it ignited a spark or two within you. To keep the inspiration flowing, hit that subscribe button and stay tuned for more episodes. We've got loads of amazing stories of courage, passion and practical tips coming your way. For all the show notes, resources and ways that we can connect, head to courageousme.com.au. And your feedback is incredibly valuable. So if you enjoyed the show, I'd love you to leave a review and a rating. It'll help me spread more of this love and reach more wonderful people just like you. Until we meet again, my friend, always remember, you've got this. <laughs>